So earlier this week, I was in a really interesting meeting with some trustees where they were discussing a few things that um, went into quite detail and we had, you know, quite a heated debate. And one of the trustees had quite a strong opinion, which I was quite surprised by. And what he said was that he felt his 17-year-old daughter had attended these educational classes to attain some Islamic knowledge and he felt that she, they hadn't done that for her and she hadn't attained what he was expecting from her and, and that was, you know, Islamic education basically. And he blamed the institution for this. So I thought this was a really, really important discussion to have. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. You're listening to Cup of Parenting podcast and I'm your host Aisha, a paediatric speech and language therapist, mom of seven and parenting coach here in the UK. namely whose responsibility are our children okay as muslims who's responsible for the upbringing of our children is it the parents primarily is it the wider family the extended family primarily or is it the community or as this individual is arguing is it the mosque's responsibility to provide that education and not just education and not just religious education. I'm talking about religious education, secular education, their character, their moral building um, and all these other things that come associated with upbringing a, ch a child. The reason why this shocked me is this was a trustee saying this. So he was saying it from the viewpoint of a parent, but as a trustee, he was saying it. And I was thinking to myself, is if this is his view that he felt that it was the responsibility of the mosque and these classes to have done this for his daughter, what about the opinion of other regular parents? Because this is something that you hear sometimes, um, and it's a really huge problem actually in the Muslim community that we have this expectation that the mosque is going to deal with the religious side of things when it comes to our children, our children's education and nurturing. So is this the case? That's what I wanted to discuss today. So this is quite a thought-provoking topic to discuss. So who is responsible for the upbringing of Muslim children? Okay, so it is a question, as I've said, that often sparks debate within our community. This, this discussion we had did turn into a debate as well because we had differences in opinion. But it's really important to explore this topic in depth and let's shed the light on the different roles. Okay, so obviously we have the role of the parents. Now, the foundation of a child's upbringing lies within the family and this starts with the parents, okay? In Islam, parents do have the primary responsibility for their children's moral, spiritual and educational development. We know they're the first teachers, okay? The mother, your mother is your first teacher and usually your actions, your behaviours, your values and all of this that you do as parents then reflects um, on your children and the children's understanding of Islam as well and we also know the very well-known hadith of the prophet وسلم, who emphasized individual responsibility okay he وسلم, said each of you is a shepherd and each of you will be asked about your flock and when we're thinking about the responsibility of the upbringing of children you have to think about the parental responsibility okay imagine the parents are like shepherds responsible for the children's upbringing just in the same way a shepherd looks after his sheep, you know, he goes out, brings them in in the night, he provides food for them. You're also accountable for nurturing, educating, guiding your children 
including, as I've said, the religious and moral development. And I think what happens in Western society especially, but also in other parts of the world, is oftentimes parents neglect doing this, especially when it comes to religious education. Why? Because they have this expectation that if they take their children to mosque, to madrasa, to wherever they go to acquire um, this extra education, that once they've dropped them off, that's it, that's the responsibility of the mosque to provide that education. And then they'll pick them up when when the time is done normally, you know, an hour, two hours, whatever it is, and usually after school or on the weekends. And that's it, their responsibility is done. And I know certainly in some of the classes that I've been involved in, we try and heavily emphasize to the parents, this is an ongoing education. This is much, much more than the hour or so they're getting here to get some knowledge you then as the parents have the ultimate response ultimately have that responsibility where you've got to um, ingrain that in them you've got to bring them up in in the best way possible and that means reminding them for example of the prayers you know when they wake up when they go to sleep when they eat the dinner when they leave the house when they come back in of the manners how they interact with family members with other people anybody in the community really because this is this is all on a wider scale the Islamic upbringing. It's your responsibility to take them if there's classes happening or, you know, to integrate them in kids' clubs. And this doesn't have to be done in a really formal way where you only seek out sort of classes that are specifically teaching these things. No, it could even be that you're taking your children to social gatherings where you know there's going to be predominantly people of your religion or your culture where you can then sit down and share these values these morals these lessons with them and that's certainly something that we do when we do our activities which are hugely popular one of the things parents say is that they feel quite safe and comfortable coming to them because children get that really nice vibe from the environment from the other people from the other gatherings as well and i think it's really important to also know is Yes, I'm going to come on to the next point about the fact that it's not just the parents, but what I want to emphasize here is the parents are the main people who are going to be responsible. On the Day of Judgment, you are going to be asked about what your you know rights were towards your children and did you fulfill them or not. So there was um, also the role of the wider family as well, because... I know in some countries and in some cultures it's it's become now where maybe the wider family don't really live close to you or you live on your own or the family units are very different now. But if you have got that privilege of having grandparents, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins all around, they do say it takes a village to raise a child. Absolutely it does. Then these people are also really valuable in creating strong family bonds and in, in emphasising nurturing the children with the, with the family and the cultural and the religious values that you hold dear, how they can reinforce these values um, that the mom and dad are trying to instill in the children. Hopefully this is, you know, I am saying this as hypothetically if it's a situation where first of all you've got that wider family, second of all that they're available in terms of you can interact with them and they're not, you know, and I know some people they live quite far from them. But you can still, we live in a modern age, interact with them on the phone or on the computer or whatnot these days. Um, but it's just really important to do that for children, especially for them to know as well that where they come from in terms of their lineage and their wider family members and what their beliefs are, etc. And then we've come on to the role of the Muslim community 
Okay, and I've already mentioned like when we do activities, it's very much a sense of community belonging, community involvement, getting the children to be with other children from the community. And, you know, I'm not even talking about at all children of the same race. Alhamdulillah, we've got a really, really um, multicultural community, Islamic community here where we are in Newcastle upon time. We're really lucky. And even in the smaller activities we do, we've always got a mix of children, which is really, really lovely for the children to see that there's all sorts of different children with different abilities, with different disabilities. But, you know, we've all got the same morals and values. And this is what is so important for children to see. And the reason I'm saying this is because, um, coming on to the next point about the role of the mosque, is sometimes what we have is this expectation that other people, or in specifically the Islamic classes or the mosque is going to do that for our children. But then how much support are we giving them in order for them to do the classes? So it varies around the world. It varies in the UK. It varies from city to city. You know, some places have got excellent facilities. The people at the top, the managers really, really care about activities going on for children, for for ladies, for men, for everybody the elderly and they try and promote that and be proactive you've got other ones who are very very out of touch and it's a sad reality it happens everywhere Um, I've seen it time and time again where you have people in charge who have absolutely no idea about what the needs of the community are so you have this frustration where you know you have people dropping children off thinking that this institution is going to look after them but at the back end the institution is barely being supported by management by by people who should be supporting it because then they don't have that financial support first of all so a lot of times these places are doing things on a voluntary basis and it's really really important to say this because you can't run everything on a voluntary basis you need to be pumping um, financial and moral support behind whoever it is that's doing these activities for children also you need to accept that um, you have to have people in there who are capable of doing different roles if you're going to be setting something up and again in different places you have different people some of um, who've got really good ability to work with children and to you know get things structurally set up in terms of activities and in some places not so much so that's something else we really have to think about as well and also as parents we have to be willing to um, invest in these classes for children so oftentimes you'll find you know you might have teachers who are trying to do an amazing job on a very very low pay which might be because the institutions have hardly got any money to pay them but on the other side you're quite happy I'm not talking about people who um, financially struggle at all I'm just talking about people who are happy to throw money at other things so you will you will spend money on your children having the best designer clothes, having the best sports clothes, having the newest Nike trainers when they come out, having the best gadgets, having the latest iPhone, having the Nintendo Switches, right? These are the these are the people, their children have these things. But when it comes to education, on so many forums I read where people say, oh, I've heard people say them in, in um, you know, in conversations as well, saying that, well, how much will the teacher charge for my child to learn X, Y, and Z. And as soon as they hear a certain amount, it'll put them off straight away because we have this um, really bad prejudice that these things should all be free. Why should we invest in them? But they will be happy to invest in private education. They'll be happy to invest in all these material things I've I've mentioned, you know, going out for desserts, all of those things. Um, And they will be happy to invest 
in education, as long as it's not Islamic. So if it's math tuition, for example, and I know parents pay a huge amount of fees, even if the tuition isn't that amazing, just because they feel like that's value for money. And when a person feels like they're getting value for money, they'll exchange money. But my point is when it comes to Islamic education or religious education or even religious activities, we have this mindset where um, as, a, as a wider community, we aren't happy to invest. But why? Why are we not happy to invest when the people on the other side themselves are probably doing it for nothing? And there's only so much you can do as, as volunteers. And again, when it comes to this debate about when it comes to, um, you know, education and these mosque classes or Islamic classes or any sort of classes, um, and I'm emphasizing this because this is what the original debate was about, then they don't, um, the, the, the people running them themselves don't have that, number one, moral support, um, because people who are in charge might be thinking, well, what's the point of doing this? Why do it like that? No, do it like this. Um, and number two, they don't have the financial support. So we need to change that as a society. We really, really do. Let's come on to the actual role of the mosque then. Okay, so the role of the mosque isn't just a place of worship, of course. It is a center for learning and community building. And of course, it's got a role in the upbringing of children. Okay, strongly, strongly do feel that. It's important that the children visit the mosque, first of all, and know what it is, uh, know what you do there. And you might think that's really silly and obvious. Uh, but honestly, I've seen older children come to the mosque through no fault of their own when they're, when they're older and um, they don't know what to do when they're there. Okay, forget about old children. I've seen ladies doing this because they don't know the etiquettes of when they come to the mosque, when it's appropriate um, to talk, for example, if there's a khutbah going on or, or when it comes to even praying, okay, basic things like this. So you see people coming in or you see people chatting through the um, Jummah, the Friday sermon, the Jummah khutbah instead of sitting and listening. I've even seen um, recently when I went to Birmingham, a really well populated mosque in which there was all sorts of activities going on in, in um, during the khutbah. And I know children um, are little and it's great to have children in the mosque. I'm, I'm very fully supportive of that. But you had people reciting the Quran and all sorts going on during the actual khutbah. We had a lady actually, she was giving sweets out, subhanAllah, which is a really nice gesture that she was doing that, mashallah. She was doing it during the khutbah and I was astounded. So, you know, these are all things, again, that by going to the mosque, your children will learn these manners, these etiquettes. Um, so it's really, really important for them to go. And I remember when we were little, we used, we went to the masjid all the time. It was like a second home. So we went when there was talks. We went on Fridays. So it's really important to keep taking your children there. So they build a connection and a love for the masjid. And the masjid elders should welcome children because, again, I've seen multiple incidents in our masjid and in other masjids you know where they have different rules or you know the elderly aunties want well some of them don't want children in the masjids at all or some of them are happy for children to come as long as they're sitting quietly which is which is within reason you know you do expect um that children people are worshiping in there so uh, you know it's not i'm not saying take your children in there let them just run wild as if they're in a park but also the elderly should, um, not just the elderly, I'm, I shouldn't be prejudicing by saying that. People should be welcoming and allowing these children in as well. And, you know, we've made it a point to have a lot of activities in the masjid. So the children just love coming there and they're not just coming there to read Quran. They're coming there to do other activities as well. So I went to a masjid recently. I think it was Masjid 
Sunna in Nelson, I think it was. Yeah, and I've, I've personally never been there before, but we went out of time when it wasn't any of the prayer times just to have a quick look at the facilities. And honestly, it made me so happy from inside. The main reason was, apart from the usual prayer facilities, which every masjid had, they had a specific, um, like a gym next to the masjid, the actual purpose-built gym. They had a sports hall inside the masjid. They had an entire section um, where they had... Um, like snooker table and activities for the youth and you could tell they were quite involved in youth activities and I thought subhanAllah just made me so happy that I thought here are people in charge um, whom I don't even know personally but they have gone to the effort of um, you know cultivating young children upon upon the Islamic way and they've done this in a really lovely way. You just went in and you could get that sense from all the different things, the, the areas that they had, that they were welcoming towards children. And, you know, because us as a family, we often take our children to different masjids around the UK. So um, my husband will take the our girls on trips somewhere to different masjids. And sometimes they'll go without me. But you know what? They find it so ex so exciting and they'll send pictures and they'll take pictures and they'll look at the different facilities the different masjids have so I think um, in the summer holidays they went past Cambridge masjid um, which is quite unique isn't it so they really enjoyed looking at that one but my point is from a very young age we've taken them to masjids and they actually enjoy going there and it's it's very normal for them but it's also very exciting for them and they like looking at the different features of different masjids they enjoy the atmosphere in the masjids they obviously meet new people all the time and they're quite young children you know they're not very old uh, but they've gone there from from when they were babies. They've come to our local masjid, which I, um, I was quite heavily involved in uh, for a long time, from when they were quite little, when they were babies. So, you know, I'd strongly recommend anybody to do this, inshallah. It's, it's really good for your um, children to make that connection with the masjids as well. So, I know we've discussed quite a few things today, so I'm going to conclude it here, inshallah. But just concluding that it is a collective responsibility of the parents, of the family, of the community and of masjids for, you know, this the upbringing of our children, not just the Islamic upbringing, I should say, just the whole upbringing of our children. But primarily this responsibility, first of all, lies with the parents. And second of all, even if you're going to um, you know, get them involved in the community and with the wider family and with the mosque. Still, it's the parents' responsibility to be proactive and make sure that they do do this so that when those children um, get to a teenage age or enter adulthood, but usually teenage age, isn't it? That's the, that's the bulk of sort of the foundation that you would have put in place in their lives in terms of their character and everything that you've taught them. So when they get to that age, you can you can think that, Alhamdulillah, I've done this job to the best of my ability. And don't get me wrong, you're going to have your ups and downs. Parenting isn't easy. You're going to have a bumpy ride. Nobody said it was, you know, it wasn't going to be without its tests and trials. But as parents, we've got to do two things. Try our absolute best and make dua, inshallah. And I hope you found this week's podcast useful. I'll see you next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.